Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. You know, tonight as we uh, go into the Book of Revelation study, session 24, the bowls of heaven, I think that this session, uh, maybe more than most, and, and I would put this in a category, you know, maybe there's, maybe there's one or two that we've covered that have been like this, and there'll be another, you know, I don't know, five or ten that we'll cover in the coming sessions. But it's kind of a rare uh, session in that we're covering content that has profound impact on the future uh, about, uh, for the church, about what we, what we believe about these verses, what we think about these ideas is going to have a significant impact in the future. And uh, I, I think at just a, a general uh, you know, introduction, thinking about their bowls in heaven, that doesn't sound so exciting. That doesn't maybe sound like that's, so what? That's kind of like, how is that a big deal? But when we start to look at what these bowls do and how they uh, impact the future, uh, my hope is that we'll actually walk away with a very different perspective. And so uh, I, think, I think this is a, a profound importance uh, for the future in a way that is pretty surprising to us. And so we'll just jump in. So the first, we're uh, doing a study tonight on bowls, literal bowls, that are in heaven. And there's a lot of them. And they actually have a, a lot of impact it's a pretty significant theme in the book of Revelation. You know, in this series that we're doing, or this study, our objective is to look at themes, and hopefully major themes of the book of Revelation. Well, these bowls, if you just did a little, you know, Bible gateway search on the word bowls in heaven, uh, I didn't count them out, but there's probably, I don't know, 45 or something references, uh, maybe 40 references to bowls. There's so many, because uh, this is a, a pretty significant issue. So... Uh, we're going to talk about Heaven's Fine China tonight. The bowls that are in heaven that have profound purpose, that are um, uh, precious to the Father, that are well known in the, uh, the heavenly scene in the courtroom. You know, uh, in, in our homes, uh, you've all got bowls in your cabinet probably. And there's some of them that are just collecting dust. There's some of them maybe up on a shelf that you never see. These bowls are up front and center in heaven. These are not collecting dust somewhere, unknown by any of the visitors that walk through the living room of heaven. These bowls are pronounced loudly. These bowls are obvious and have great meaning and depth. A uh, point I want to make here is that they are governmental in their purpose. They're in the throne room. There's nothing accidental or unimportant in the throne room of heaven. These bowls that we're going to look at, they're in that room. The room that we looked at, you know, some weeks ago that's got the lightning and the thunder and the rumblings and the four living creatures and all the glory. That's where these bowls are, that room. That room is the governmental center of the universe. That's where God runs the entire created order. He runs it from that room, and in that room there are bowls. That's just such an interesting idea. These are not cereal bowls. These have very specific purpose. These are, these are again, I'm, I'm using that kind of tongue-in-cheek, the, the fine china of heaven, the, the most prestigious, most important, most carefully crafted bowls 
that are in heaven serving specific purpose in the throne room, in the governmental center. We're going to look at two particular types of bowls, and I'll kind of throw in a bonus uh, bowl a little bit later. We're going to look at two types of bowls that are serving in this governmental purpose of God releasing his, uh, his purposes on the earth from heaven through bowls. That's just such an interesting idea. But we've got two different types. First, we've got uh, Revelation 5.8, and we're going to look at Revelation 5.8 and Revelation 15.7. We're going to see those same two verses seven or eight times uh, in this session. The 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, and each one had a harp and were holding golden bowls full of incense. So the first type, golden bowls filled with incense. Second type, Revelation 15.7, one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. So the second uh, set of bowls are those that are filled with the wrath of God. So you've got bowls in heaven before the throne that are filled with incense, and you've got bowls that are filled with wrath. So intense. Man, it might have been easier if Captain Crunch was in those bowls. Because these are this is intense here. Now, I want to tell you that I don't claim to have much clarity on this, and I'm, I'm not excited about that, because I think this is a subject that is going to have growing relevance uh, to the church, uh, relevance to the church as we move closer to the second coming. I think we are going to grow in our understanding, and we're going to need understanding about how the church interacts with and relates to these bowls. These bowls filled with incense and these bowls that are filled with wrath because there are profound future um, uh, moments, future events related to these governmental bowls that are before the throne. And they have everything to do with the church on the earth and how we interact with those bowls. They, uh, they're a real part of our future. So today, I just honestly, it's, it's just an introduction. I think that in the future, we're going to be very grateful that we have this session. And there'll be some that won't hear it tonight. They'll hear it, you know, online or they'll, you know, listen to the, the recording later. I think that we're going to be grateful we were introduced to these bowls because you don't get level two and level 10 clarity until you started off with level zero and got an introduction. Uh, so I, all we're going to do tonight is just introduce these important bowls and kind of hopefully leave a mark that we go, there are bowls in heaven that I don't really understand, but they're important and they're filled with some interesting stuff, and the church relates to those bowls in an interesting way. And I think that will begin for us a, a journey that I am confident in the coming decades uh, will grow in clarity, and we're going to need that clarity. Now, if you're uh, in, in the notes here, I'm on page two, top of page two. I'm going to go kind of quickly through this second session, uh, or section, this Roman numeral two. It's bowls shadowing the heavenly reality. What do I mean by that? We're going to rather quickly look at the bowls that were in the temple. Because the bowls that were in the temple were just a shadow of these bowls that are in heaven. They're just a shadow of the purposes of the Lord related to bowls connected to worship. Bowls connected to God's purposes. Bowls connected to intercession, connected to cleansing. Uh, bowls that are, are, are the release of God's purposes. So we're going to look kind of quickly, just so that you have a little bit of a frame of reference, uh, 
that before we had Revelation 4 and 5, we had, you know, uh, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, First and Second Chronicles. We had chapters in the Scripture that were revealing to us how God felt about bowls because God himself was the one that prescribed the use of bowls in worship, the use of bowls in the tabernacle and then later in the temple. And so we're going to just look at these real quick because some of them, I mean, when you start to put them all together, you realize the subject of bowls and worship of God, are it's a bigger deal than you'd think. When you start to look at how big these bowls were, how many of these bowls there were, where all these bowls were, it's kind of like a loud statement from heaven. So let's just look real quick. The sacred bowls, also known as the sprinkling bowls, these were filled with the blood of the sacrifices. So the animals, you know, when they were sacrificed, their blood was put in these bowls, and the priests would then take blood from these bowls and sprinkle that blood on the altar as if to cover the altar it was a, a point of atonement, okay? These animals, they died, and now their blood was being sprinkled, and that sprinkling of blood was an act of intercession to cover over the sins of the people. And they were, the blood was held in bowls. That's so intense, okay? So there's a bunch of them. Well, next, the bronze sea. And I didn't put these in any particular order. The bronze sea is the biggest bowl you've ever seen. It is enormous. It's about 15 feet across, maybe about 10 feet high, or maybe not quite that high, maybe, maybe like 8 feet high. But you could hold 18,000 gallons of water in this bowl. Now, this bowl was ornate, I mean, so decorative, so attention-grabbing, and it was put right outside the temple so that if you approached the temple you probably didn't get too far before you were staring at this ginormous bowl, okay? It was an attention getter. This bowl was up front and center in front of the temple, and I would encourage you, if you can't quite picture it, go look it up on, you know, Google something. Look it up in your Bible concordance or, or the, you know, the little uh, drawings in the back or whatever, whatever that's called, and uh, get a picture of this. This was, when you approached the temple, you could not help but be struck by this enormous bowl that was right there in front of the temple. And its purpose wasn't for holding blood. It was for holding water. This was where the priests would wash their hands. Now you just think about, like, how big of a bowl do you need for a priest to, like, wash his hands? I mean, you'd think, like, you know, like, the sink would work, right? God's prescription was for this thing to hold 18,000 gallons of water for the priests to wash their hands in so that the, the water-to-blood ratio was, you know, pretty offset. I mean, you got a lot of water. This was the, the cleansing, the hands of the, you know, the priests. This was like to, to cleanse their hands so that they could do the work, okay? This is huge. Then you had bronze basins. These could each hold 240 gallons, and they were about six feet across. So now imagine... You know what six feet is, you know, so from me to the, the first chair there, something like that, it's about six feet. Six feet round, and these were filled with water, but these, unlike the blood bowls and unlike the water bowl, 
These were the, the inner, or the in-between. These basins were used to wash the sacrifices. So after you got the sacrifice, you got all the blood out of it, or most of it, then you'd take that sacrifice, you'd put it in this basin, and you'd clean it off to get the rest of the blood off of it. Okay, so these were kind of the, the in-between size bowls, but these things were enormous. And there were 10 of them. And these are also outside of the temple. So you kind of picture in this, like you walk up and you've got these sprinkling bowls you know, that are filled with blood, and they're, you know, reasonably sized. Then you've got these six feet across bowls that are made for washing the sacrifices, and there's ten of them, and they're pretty big. Then you've got this enormous bowl that's kind of the center point, and it holds 180,000 gallons of water. I mean, if you walked up to the temple, you were struck with bowls. There are bowls everywhere. Well, that's not all. Then you go inside the temple. And inside the temple, there's more gold basins and more sprinkling bowls. This time they're made of gold instead of bronze. Outside the temple, bronze. Inside the temple, gold. Outside the temple, ginormous. Inside the temple, smaller. These were where the priests would then perform the sacrifices in the temple. And they were using you know, smaller uh, utensils, smaller uh, space in there because you're actually now inside of a room. But you've got all the same stuff that was reflected outside. You've now got it inside the temple. So you've got additional bowls. And I gave you some verses there that talk about this. Then you also have the lampstands. Now these lampstands, there were 10 of them. These 10 lampstands were inside of the temple. And they kept it light in there. They were torches, if you will. But torches in this context didn't look like a torch that you and I would think, you know, where you put a bunch of kerosene on the end of something, big cotton swab or something, you know, and then you dip it, you know, and you got the kerosene all over it and light it. It's not like that. These torches were actually giant bowls on a stand, and the bowl would hold oil, and then there were little wicks that went down into the bowl in order for the, the little lamps, the... Uh, the, uh, the candles, if you will, that were part of these uh, particular lampstands, they would dip into the base of the oil, and that way they had plenty of oil. So you got these bowls of oil on top of lampstands now inside the temple. Bowls, bowls, bowls everywhere. Then you also had these two what are described as bowl-shaped capitals. You approach the temple, and it says... These were, this was done for King Solomon in the temple of the Lord. The two pillars, two giant pillars outside the temple. So if you approach the temple, there were two major pillars. But it says that what was on top of the pillars were two bowl-shaped capitals on top of the pillars. Now, these weren't actually bowls, but they looked like bowls. And they were bowl-shaped, and I think part of that picture was to announce all the louder the importance of the bowls related to the approaching of God through this worship sanctuary. You've got these two giant pillars, and they're, they captivate you. But on top of them, instead of it just being, you know, uh, just a seal or, you know, the, the, uh, the roof resting right on top of the pillars, there were these giant bowls on top of the pillars. Now, my point with all this is just to say the, the temple worship had bowls as a major theme. And I think that the reason that God set it up that way is because God knew long before we did that bowls are important to the orchestration of God's government through worship. Bowls have specific importance in God's uh, kingdom and specifically in, in the, the running of his government, the execution of it. Now, let's move on. That's your backdrop. 
Part three, let's talk about the function of these heavenly bowls because we got some crazy stuff going on here, okay? First, they are filled by human activity. Now we're talking about the bowls in heaven, okay? So move away from the Old Testament, uh, the, uh, the temple. We're not there anymore. Now we are up in heaven, and we're looking at the bowls that are filled with incense and the bowls that are filled with wrath, okay? The bowls of heaven are filled by the activity of men on the earth. That's how you fill a bowl in heaven, human activity. What we find here is there is a direct relationship to the things that people do and don't do on the earth that then has representation in bowls before the throne in heaven. Pretty powerful. This is an intriguing concept because it means that what we do down here matters and has impact and impacts God's government and plays into God's government. Part B, the mysterious content of these bowls. One attribute that makes these bowls pretty different than any bowl we've got on the earth is the substance that's found in the bowls is supernatural. It isn't Cheerios, it isn't marbles, it isn't tactile, it isn't sand, it isn't grain. What's in the bowl is supernatural. And yet it can be measured. It's got volume. What is in these bowls is measurable, has substance to it, and yet it is mysterious. These bowls are filled with things not commonly known to have capacity or volume. These bowls are filled with prayers and wrath. Every bowl I've ever known that had anything in it, I could move the spoon around and pick the stuff up. This, these bowls, if you look into these bowls, there is actual substance and volume. We can tell because they get full. But what's in there isn't grain. It's prayers and wrath. That's what's in these bowls. Gave you the verses again. Golden bowls full of incense. Seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God. So intense. Now, I just throw it in there because uh, it seems to me to be in the same line of thinking. This concept of containers for eternal rewards. And the reason I bring that up is Jesus, more than anybody, but even in the book of Revelation, Jesus uh, talks about the concept of earning rewards and heaping them up gathering them, acquiring them, like they go into a container for you of some sort. He says, it's done according to your deeds. Revelation 2, 23, this is Jesus. I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Revelation 22, 12, my reward is with me and I'll give to each person according to what they've done. Now, if we can learn anything from the bowls that we just looked at, we can see that the activity of man on the earth fills bowls in heaven with commonly thought of intangible substance. But in heaven, it has tangible volume to it. Wrath, uh, prayers, and I'm even going to say eternal rewards because we see that these rewards are heaped up for us uh, in heaven. And if that's an idea that you know, you're not really connected with, that's okay. I just wanted to point out that I think that there are other things other than just wrath and prayer that have weight and volume in heaven that can be measured in a bowl or a container or a bucket or a room or whatever, that there's, there are things in heaven which 
have substance, which on earth, we, we don't see that. We don't equate it that way, okay? So I think it's actually conveying to us a principle rather than the only two things in heaven that fit this criteria are wrath and prayer, okay? I think there's others. All right, let's move on. An intriguing way that these bowls are filled, it's through partnership. Partnership either in a good sense or in a bad sense. How about partnership with the bowl? Okay, if it's a bowl of prayer, you partner with that bowl by praying. If it's a bowl of wrath, you partner with that bowl by sinning. Pretty intense. And both of these bowls, both of these types of bowls, get filled. And when they get filled, dramatic things occur. When they're not full, it's still building up to the point of filling. But when they get full, they tip, and dramatic things occur. And it's a little bit more complex than they just tip, because it doesn't happen just arbitrarily. It happens in accordance to the purposes of the Lord, but it happens in accordance to their being filled. Look at this, Revelation 8.3, we see what happens when bowls are filled. And again, these, uh, these passages that we're looking at are primarily the governmental side of what's happening up there. But I think that the principle also would work in our own lives. I think that, you know, if you pray and pray and pray, I think you probably are filling some sort of bowl in heaven. And that when you filled that bowl, the thing gets tipped. But what we're looking at here is governmental, global, end-time purposes. But I think that the pattern could probably be similarly seen in our individual life. But here we see bowls in heaven filled with the prayers of the saints being now offered on the altar, Revelation 8, 3, he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all of God's people on the golden altar in front of the throne. Now, just so you know, these prayers that are being offered, the prayers of the saints, they've reached a certain point of now it's time, it's fullness. Uh, all the prayers have come in, if you will, okay? And what happens here, I didn't give you the, the full uh, you know, passage because it, it requires a little bit of explanation, but in Revelation chapter 8, this is when the trumpets start to get sounded, the end-time trumpets. The end-time trumpets don't happen accidentally. They happen because the prayers of the saints have filled up a bowl, and now it's time to dump that bowl on the altar. And what now is released are the trumpet judgments at the end of the age. So the activity of man, or the activity, uh, yeah, of heaven is being released in accordance to the activity of mankind, the, these, uh, the prayers of the saints. Well, I also gave you another verse here out of Romans chapter 2, where not just the incense bowls are filled up this way, and that there's dramatic impact when these bowls are filled, but there's dramatic impact when the bowls of wrath are filled. Look at this, this is Paul now in Romans chapter 2. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. This isn't an unrelated idea to the bowls of wrath in Revelation. This is Paul referencing the bowls of wrath in the book of Revelation. This is Paul talking about those bowls of wrath. Okay, just think about if they're called a bowl of marble. Then bowl, marbles, not like it's made of marble, but a bowl of marbles, you're expecting that what goes inside that bowl is marbles, right? 
And it, when it's full, now you got no more room, the marble bowl's full. Same concept, but wrath. These are bowls of wrath. Nothing else goes in these bowls. What goes in these bowls is wrath. And that wrath is stored up by unrepentant hearts and unrighteousness. And it's stored up for what is described as the day of God's wrath. It's when the bowls of wrath are poured out. Okay? uh, Dynamic things occur when these bowls get full. Okay? Let's look at the description of their appearance. Because these are pretty crazy bowls. First, both bowls are made of gold. Now, I think that that's actually uh, descriptive of uh, how God sees the bowls. I think you and I see these bowls uh, very black and white. I think we like bowls of incense, and we don't like bowls of judgment. We don't like bowls of wrath. And I think God goes, yeah, well, those are just china on two different you know, uh, uh, shelves in my china cabinet. I mean, they're both made of gold. Those are the bowls of incense, and those are the bowls of wrath. I mean, both of these things are important to me. I made both of them out of pure gold. Both of them are before me in my throne room. And so I don't differentiate the way that you guys do and call assign them as good bowls and bad bowls. I assign them as bowls of government of which I am accomplishing the whole counsel of my purposes. And they are both made of pure gold, both of them. And so while they might look different, I would just imagine if you're holding a, a bowl of wrath, it probably, I'm just guessing, has some measure of inscription or appearance to it or decoration something would probably tell you it's a bowl of wrath as opposed to it's a bowl of incense i'm just guessing but both of them are made of gold look at the numbers of these bowls we've got 24 bowls filled with incense and we've got seven bowls of wrath now before we get too excited about that because there is a little bit of a a balance here Uh, I'll look at it here in a minute, but there's good reason to believe the bowls of incense are pretty small, and the bowls of wrath are probably ginormous, okay? And I'll give you a little bit on that in a minute, but just looking at it, you got 24 of these bowls of incense, seven bowls of wrath. This number 24, it represents the double fullness of man. So you go, what the heck? What does that even mean? There were 12 tribes of Israel. And that was God's orchestration of government. He had 12 tribes. And then in the New Testament, he had 12 apostles of the Lamb. And those 12 apostles were his messengers offering mercy to the planet. Offering the the way into his kingdom. The way into uh, the knowledge of God. These These 12 men were representatives of Christ. You got the 12 tribes of Israel. They were representatives of the government of God on the earth. The 12 tribes of Israel. So the fact that there's this 24 is in many ways representing both of those numbers together and both of them equaled fullness. Then you've got seven. Well, seven also means fullness. But there's no cute games going on here. This is seven simplistically. This is just just one group of seven. This is seven in its perfect uh, completion of God's wrath. You got the seven days of creation, you got the seven days in the week. You know, God's the one that came up with how many days there are in the week. That wasn't some person's idea. It was God's. And he's the one that set up the sun and everything else right where it is to make those things happen. Seven equals completion and then reset. Okay? Well, you've got seven bowls of wrath that equal the completion of his wrath and reset. And man, when those bowls are all poured out, we do get a reset called the millennial reign of Jesus. Okay? 
So you've got 24 and 7. I just find it profound that there's 24 of these bulls, again, all golden bulls, all before the throne. There's 24 of them that, in a sense, represent mercy because it's the intercession of the saints. Of course, the saints are also the ones that intercede for the bulls to then come forth. So it's not a, a total mercy package, but you got these 24 bulls that are being filled with the prayers of the saints for the purposes of God on the earth. These two sets of bowls will carry the scales of history. You've got 24 in this side and 7 on this side, and both of them are related to the purposes of God and His government and His execution of His final purposes for this generation. And they're all connected. And it's it's the interaction of humanity, the wickedness of man going up and being stored tangibly in the form of some sort of, you know, some sort of wrath that's measurable in these bowls. And also the purposes of God and come Lord Jesus and Lord send out the harvesters and Lord release unity in the church. All the stuff Jesus told us to pray for is all going up into these incense bowls as well. Those that hold these bowls, you've got 24 of the elders and you've got seven of the uh, what are described as like the primary angels before the throne we're going to spend a whole session it's actually next session talking about these seven angels because these seven angels show up over and over in the book of revelation so next session is all about these seven angels so it kind of affords me to not have to say much about them right now what i will say is you've got the 24 elders around the throne when you think elders think like the elders at the city gate in the Old Testament, okay? You've got the city being run by elders, by leadership. They're counselors. They're the wise men, the wise leaders of heaven that are giving counsel in the heavenly court. These are the 24 that hold the prayers of the saints. Then you've got the seven primary angels of heaven, and they're over the seven bowls of God's wrath. You've got like the heaviest hitters of heaven carrying the responsibility of holding these bowls and doing stuff with them. They don't just have the bowl to have them and now I'm the bowl guy. They have them because they are messengers with specific time and understanding and wisdom and legislation to pour those bowls out and do something with them. Next, they are the caretakers of our prayers. That's what these elders are. And then the angels are the executors of God's judgment. It's pretty intense. I'm going to give you this last part here and then we'll break into uh, discussion groups. The size of these bowls. Just to give you a little bit of perspective. I'm just, I want to do the best I can to help us see what's happening in Revelation. And so some of this is just kind of nerd details but I think it's helpful to awaken our imagination to see things as they are. And unless we spend a little bit of time looking at details, none of that really computes. All right? Bowls of incense. Each one had a harp, and they were holding golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Now, I want you to imagine these elders, okay? There's 24 of them, but just pick one. These elders have got a harp in one hand. Okay, and that harp is for playing. So that harp isn't like three inches tall. That harp is big enough to play. In the other hand, they're holding a bowl, which means that bowl is not 90 feet tall. 
That bowl is a hand bowl. Okay, that bowl, they're holding. It says they're holding bowls, holding golden bowls. But they're not double-handed in holding because in one hand they got a harp. So they're single-hand holding a bowl. I'm just trying to give you a picture of how big these bowls are. These bowls are however big you hold in one hand bowls. All right? Maybe these elders are big, but I don't think we have any reason to make them big because I think they're humans. I think that they're the humans of history that are given, uh, a, that are given specific eternal privilege to be before the throne. So I think that these are men. I, I think the description of them makes it very clear. They're wearing crowns, crowns very similar to the ones that uh, saints are promised if we walk in accordance to a certain measure of light during this age. I, I think these are humans. So you've got five foot eight tall humans holding a harp in one hand and holding a bowl in the other, okay? The bowls of wrath, however, are different, as are these seven angels. These are the seven archangels before the Lord. There's good reason to think that they're big. I mean, we're talking about Michael and Gabriel, okay? These are seven really big angels. And one thing that we know about these bowls, these bowls are so big that when these bowls are poured out, massive global things happen to the whole planet. Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. Now, I just don't imagine, this is just me, that I'm going to pour out a bowl that's eight inches across, and I'm going to pour that out on the earth. Oh, yeah, by the way, there's only seven of these, and these seven equal the 100% completion and totality of all of God's wrath. All of God's wrath from all of history. These bowls are much bigger than six inches across. When these bowls are poured out, they're poured out on the earth. These are big bowls. The first angel poured out his bowl on the land. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea. What kind of bowl do you pour out on the sea that then turns the sea to blood? I mean, these are, these are not small bowls, okay? Third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and the springs of water. It's one bowl, but it's poured out on the rivers and the springs. Fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun. What kind of bowl are you pouring out on the sun that makes any difference to the sun unless that bowl is big? These are big bowls versus little bowls. The, the purposes are different. All right, so now let's break up into groups. All right, so uh, we're going to go ahead and uh, do our time of uh, Q&A here. And uh, what I'll do is I'll repeat the questions just so that those that are watching online or who will hear the uh, message later uh, can hear the question as well. And so, uh, Caitlin, if we can, why don't we start with you? So seven questions. <laughs> um, let's see if I can. Okay, so the, the the question more or less was bowls of wrath, bad. What? And what do we do with them? How, when do they happen? How do they fill? Where where will the church be? When do they occur in the end time kind of timeline? So um, the bowls of wrath are the third series of judgments that occur. The first are the seven seals. Jesus opens those in chapter 6. Then there are the seven trumpets. 
Those begin to be blown by the uh, seven angels in chapter 8. And then there are the seven bowls of wrath, which are poured out uh, by the seven angels. And that begins in chapter 16, or 15, if you, if you want. So uh, in the chronology of events, when does this occur? Well, the, uh, the, the specifics of when the bowls begin to be poured out is they happen after the trumpets are over. Why does that matter? Because Jesus comes back at the last trumpet. Jesus comes back at the seventh trumpet. There are seven trumpets. When the last trumpet is sounded, Jesus returns. It's at that point that the church is raptured. But we're not raptured and go away to heaven. We're raptured and caught up with Jesus in the clouds, in the sky. Jesus is coming to the earth. So we're not raptured and go to heaven immediately. We're raptured and now we're with Jesus, who is gathering up a giant army to come down here and kick butt and take names. So now, with resurrected bodies, we're with Jesus in the sky, coming to judge the earth with Jesus. It's while this is occurring that the earth isn't just going to get the armies of heaven. The earth is also, at this point, now going to start in a rapid succession, going to start getting the bowls of wrath poured out on it. So at this point, every believer in Jesus has a resurrected body, and no bowl could hurt you even if it was poured out right in your eyeball. But they won't be. They'll be poured out in specific, specific and strategic places in the earth where Jesus, Jesus is not going to get hurt by bulls. Neither are his people that are right there with him in an army that are coming with him in the clouds and that then are on the earth and accomplishing different purposes. So uh, the bulls of wrath are bulls of wrath against people that hate God, not bulls of wrath against the church. One of the things that is a, a common mistake is that we think that if God releases a plague, a judgment, something bad on the earth, we think, oh, wow, that means the believers are going to be impacted by that as well. But God knows how to save the godly out of the midst of wrath and judgment. He's done it time and time and time again. Just think about the rebellion of Korah, okay? If you guys don't know that story... God very carefully made a specific amount of dirt open up like a mouth and eat a group of people. And everybody else was fine. Only the people who were supposed to die that day got eaten by the earth mouth. Okay? God knows how to pick out the guys and gals that he wants in the mouth of the, of the plague. Same thing with judgment, same thing with the exodus. Think about all the people that were judged in the exodus. Not one of God's people were hurt. And it's the same judgments in the book of Revelation that happened in the book of Exodus. So we do not want to look at the judgments in the book of Revelation and think, oh my gosh, it's going to be so bad. Instead, we want to go, oh wow, the miracle working God will be working overtime to protect the righteous while judging the wicked who lives right next door. That's the, un the, uh, the, the uh, overtone really of the end time judgments is God protecting his people, and using them to accomplish gospel purposes while bringing judgment to the wicked? So, great question. Um, let's now go to Andy, if we can get, get to your question.
I do my best to reiterate the question. The uh, related to God's emotions, these are called the bowls of God's wrath. So when sin occurs, how does it turn into wrath or what, what's happening there? I'll give you just a, uh, a simple little kind of catchy thought process, okay? Prayers turn into incense. Sin turns into wrath, okay? So in these bowl concepts, it says that the prayers or that the bowls are filled with incense. Which are the prayers of the saints? So when the saints pray on the earth, it goes up and somehow turns into incense and now shows up in a bowl. When men sin on the earth, it somehow goes up and turns into wrath in a bowl. So it was sin became wrath, prayers became incense. You guys kind of tracking with that? And so, uh, so God is, is uh, in his, you know, he's the one that created this whole system. So it's not like he showed up in heaven one day and there was a system that he was somehow subjected to. Oh my goodness, I can't believe I now have wrath. Oh, I get it because people sin. I mean, this, this system was created by God. And so in his perfect orchestration, he understood that the right answer is patience and then eventually full justice, full judgment. We, uh, the, I put the verse in there. In fact, it's probably worth reading if I can find it pretty quickly. Um, that we have this wrong idea about how God views sin. And how God views uh, um, the, the waiting patiently to bring about judgment. If anybody can find that uh, before I do. What did you say? Thank you. Bottom of page six. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But... But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. And the heavens will disappear with a roar and the elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. I want, want us to see the connection point here. God understands that for perfect justice to be met, wrath must be poured out in its fullness to fully answer sin, iniquity, wickedness, injustice, every evil thing that's occurred. It must happen. But... This is now uh, Peter kind of like answering his accusers as though they were like arguing with him. He's saying, but the way that we typically see things, and he kind of points the finger, he goes, the way that you typically see things is you see a bad thing happen and God doesn't immediately judge it. Therefore, God must not be a God of justice. Wrong. He's patient. That will be judged. 100%. It's called the completion of wrath. The fullness of the wrath of God is being stored up, but it's being delayed for a moment. Think about God actually like being able to accomplish the greatest amount of good, also being able to make the most point of exclamation. We're going to live for billions and trillions of years. If God judged a little every time, or if God held out and waited and held up all the judgment, held up all the wrath until the end, and then released what could only be described as the fullness of the wrath of God, Think about what giant exclamation mark that makes in history forever about how God feels about sin, about how God feels about wickedness and justice. But in the meantime, you and I were once objects of his wrath. Aren't we glad that he didn't deal with us with the level of wrath that he's going to when these bowls get poured out? In his kindness, in his patience, he is, he is waiting. So as some call it slowness, 
It's actually God's patience. But don't mistake patience for a God who will never judge or a God who will never bring wrath. That's incorrect. He will bring about the fullness of his wrath in his timing. It's called the day of his wrath, the day of the Lord. So, and last question. Yeah. Uh, rather than rephrase that question, I'm just going to talk because uh, it was uh, layered. So first, the bowls of incense and the bowls of wrath are not a uh, are not a perfectly balanced like there's seven bowls and they're released at the time period of the bowls of wrath. And there's 24 bowls of incense and they're released at the time of incense. There's not a the time of incense. There is a, the time of God's wrath. Those bowls of incense are perpetually before the throne. The seven bowls of wrath are in one moment given to the seven angels. So there is a moment where those bowls, they've been filling up with wrath, presumably somewhere within line of sight of the throne, but it doesn't say that. But there's some place where these bowls of wrath are right now, and they're filling with wrath. But they're not given until, to the seven angels until a specific moment in the future, at which point they pour them out. In fact, these seven angels, one moment before that, were holding trumpets. So they didn't have bowls in their hands. They had trumpets in their hands. Okay? So the, the bowls of wrath are given to the seven angels to pour out the seven bowls of wrath in a very, like, monumentous point in human history, in, in, in eternity, in the end-time uh, drama, in the end-time storyline. The 24 elders around the throne hold these bowls all day, all year, all month. I mean, they, they're holding them perpetually because they are the place where the representation of our prayer of, uh, appears before the throne. Okay? So these 24 elders are sitting down in 24 chairs that are, are surrounding the throne. And when you pray, your prayers show up in those bowls somehow, exactly, we don't know, just like, you know, it's like, does America go into that bowl? And we don't know. We don't know how all the, how it all measures out or do certain prayers. Like, that's the elder of something prayer. And that's the elder. We don't know. We do know that when your prayers are prayed, they, they show up with representation before the throne. And that these 24 elders, they are all about falling down before the Lord, laying their crowns down. They're all about playing those harps. I would assume that these bowls are not stagnant. That these bowls are being released even now and that these bowls probably far more represent uh, 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 moments that occur all throughout human history and not just at the end of the age 
Though there is a specific representation that we see in Revelation chapter 8, the passage that you're referring to, that's now saying there is this fullness of the prayers of the saints. It doesn't say fullness. I'm just throwing that word in there. Uh, but these, the prayers of the saints, and I think that what's being described here in Revelation chapter 8 is actually specific prayers related to the release of the trumpet judgments. Because that's what happens when these prayers are poured out on the altar. The trumpets begin to sound. So I think what's being described here in Revelation chapter 8 is one prayer initiative of which the saints on the earth have been sowing into. And, and they've been, again, this is part of the, why does the church need to understand this stuff? I think there's going to be coming a time when the church with real energy is going to be praying, God release the trumpets. Because you say you're going to in your Bible, and we're getting close to that moment, God released the trumpets. Besides, Jesus doesn't come back till we get to the last trumpet. So God, we want our Jesus back. God released the trumpets. So I think that what's happening here in Revelation chapter 8, I'm sure there's many facets to it. But one of the things that's occurring is the answer to specific prayers, which then uh, uh, unfolds in the seven trumpets being sounded. So... Absolutely. As the church, right now, we do not yet understand our identity really at all. As the bride of Christ, as, as sons and daughters. I mean, we, there's so much about our identity we don't understand. But when Jesus comes back, he comes back to a fully mature bride. Which means between now and that moment, we will mature. And mature people do stuff immature people don't. Mature people understand things immature people don't. The mature body of Christ, as we grow up into our identity and our calling, we will be partnering with who God is, what God wants, what God's doing, how we're supposed to pray, how God's going to release things on the earth in a far more mature capacity than we currently are. So, yes, absolutely. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.